Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Testers Island Discs. Christmas is almost around the corner, but before we hit Advent, we've got one more guest. And today we're joined by Claire Norman. Claire hails from North Wales and adds a Master's in Oceanography into the list of many skills we have here on the desert island. Like many testers, she says that she fell into testing, but it's clear that she had an aptitude for it from an early age. Her first ever bug report was logged with the toothpaste company Aquafresh when she was aged just seven. And much more recently than that, she was speaking recently at Test Bash UK, giving a primer on quality coaching, where she was introduced to conference attendees by Gwen Diagram as a pink ray of sunshine. Now, sadly, there's no colour on this audio podcast, but I'm sure the sunshine will come across. Hello, Claire. Hi, Neil. It's an absolute delight to hear from you, uh, particularly after what's been quite a taxing day for me. I was saying before we started recording, I've been up since 5.30 just trying to secure a supermarket uh, delivery slot for Christmas week. Um, This seems like a very new thing. It's like supermarkets are now like Glastonbury. Yep, they are. Um, (laughs) It's it's a crazy time. It really is. And what are we? 15th of November and we're thinking about shopping for Christmas already. Yeah, I'm sure one of the things we'll all be doing is making sure we're stocked up on uh, sufficient brands of toothpaste. Um, tell us a bit about how 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 you came to report a bug with Aquafresh. Oh, so I, it's actually it's all my mum's fault. Um, <laughs> I, I completely blame her for this. She's always been one for writing complaint letters and you know making sure that things are done correctly. So, um, although they were my handwritten words, they were definitely suggested by by my mother. Um, but yeah, we essentially had a problem with the with the tube with the toothpaste, and mum quite rightly pointed out, well, this isn't right, so we need to complain about this. Um, so yeah, I I um I think it was um you know I made my feelings quite clear, but you know I you know I didn't sugarcoat it or anything, but you know I think I was polite, professional. Um, so yeah, when I rediscovered that letter a, a couple of years ago, I thought this is going to make a really great intro for a testing <laughs> talk. How do you evaluate it as a bug report? Did you have, for example, steps to reproduce? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I told them what I did to make it break. Um, and I also had like a little screenshot in the corner as well, a little <laughs> diagram, you know, where the toothpaste has got squirting out. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I, I, um, I I don't think I logged any at that sort of age. I remember I had one encounter with a can of Ambrosia Devon custard when I was very young and my parents had served up to me as part of a dessert and I'd eaten it and gone or whatever. And my parents had assumed that I was making a massive fuss. It turns out it was just rancid custard. They, <gasps> they, they were demanding I eat it. I was like, no, it's genuinely horrible. And uh, <laughs> I never quite forgiven them for that. Oh, my, my, my parents, I've forgiven my parents. I'm not sure I've forgiven uh, Ambrosia, but uh, <laughs> you obviously then went on a career journey of your own, which brought you eventually into testing. How did you discover testing as a career path? Yeah, so I was working at a um, complaints handling company. I'd I'd kind of finished uni. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And that company was looking for a junior tester and they didn't want any experience. And just like the job that I've taken recently, the job spec that they wrote really spoke to me. And it it was more the combination of the ability to be logical, but also creative in your method as well. Um, I've always, I've, loved math so I've always followed a very logical sort of education um but I love art as well and I always wanted to 
I always wanted to do art and have, you know, make money from the logical side, but, you know, do art in my spare time. So um, any sort of combination of those two things is really interesting for me. So that's that's what struck me. Um, but it, it really was an accident. I didn't go looking for it at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, that really does mirror my own routine as well. My, my first job out of uni, I was uh, eventually found myself the head of a customer service team where we were getting a lot of complaints from customers about our websites not being to a particularly high standard. And it became my job to work out what that standard would be and mm-hmm. how to enforce it and make sure we were running certain checks before they went out the door. And before I knew it, I was a tester. And it kind of, it steamrolls from there. Uh, the career um, as a profession has obviously changed a lot since then. Many more of us are now in more of a, a coaching star role as you are in your, your new position. Mm-hmm. And that's what brought you to talk at, at Test Bash UK. Uh, it seems weird to think that it's now already been a couple of months. It feels like just yesterday. But what was what was your experience like at Test Bash as a speaker? Uh, it was it was amazing. I loved it. I really did, um, especially the venue that we were at. So in Manchester, that was at the Lowry Theatre, which was a proper theatre, you know, with boxes and red velvet seats and everything. I was like, oh, this is such a pretty stage. Um, but no, it was it was lovely. I'd done an online talk previously and this was the second one that I delivered in person. So actually having an audience there that could, you know, mirror those emotions that you're putting out there and sort of laugh along to your jokes as well. That was a bit of a surprise because, you know, I'm no comedian. So (laughs) I've obviously rehearsed my script um, and put things in that I thought were funny, but not expecting people to laugh. So I was just kind of, people were laughing and I was just kind of barreling through my script. I wasn't leaving any pauses because I wasn't expecting people to laugh. Um, So that that (laughs) definitely takes some getting used to, I think. Um, But it, it was a very kind audience as well. I think Tess Bash is... A really really kind audience to have yeah yours is one of, of two talks I, I really really wanted to see while i was there on the day um I, to the extent that i nearly missed picking my son up from nursery i, oh, I no. stuck it out to make sure i didn't miss your talk uh, but <laughs> all worked out okay in the end uh, and we'll be talking more about what was in your talk uh in the upcoming sections we're gonna have a, a coaching themed talk today um with claire but before we start talking coaching, let's talk songs. You've been allowed to bring five songs onto the Testers Desert Island with you. What is your first song choice? Uh, so my first is Stereophonics, Bartender and the Thief. Um, so very iconic Welsh band. I have followed them since I was about, I don't know, seven or eight years old. Um, seen them multiple times and yeah, definitely my number one favourite. Appearing for the first time on the podcast, that's the Stereophonics with the bartender and the thief. Now, Claire, how did you first get into a, a coaching role? How did you shift from a tester who does the testing, I suppose, into more of a coaching facing role? Yeah, so it was all driven by the fact that I was the only tester in my in my company at the last place that I was working. So I was I was doing a lot of independent testing and getting really frustrated that I was, you know, sort of barely making a dent in anything. You know, I was only testing, I don't know. 10, 20% of the things that were being released. Um, so I wanted, I tried to figure out a way that I could have more of an impact. And 
the obvious the obvious route to me was to try and get my team more involved in this if i could spread my knowledge to them a little bit then each one of them you know might pick up something that i might have missed mm. um so yeah it was really just about getting more people involved in the testing role felt like a good way to have more of an impact yeah, I think while I don't subscribe to the idea of, of there being like an ideal ratio of developers to testers and even people with those names on their hats, there is something I think quite liberating knowing <laughs> that you don't have enough people to just do testing alone. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, the, the organization has to acknowledge that we have to do something else. We're not just going to give it to this one person to do all the testing. Yeah, that's it. I'm not sure that you could ever get to a stage where um, even if you had two times more testers than developers. I'm not sure that you could ever say that we've got enough testers to do this now. It's just, yeah, it doesn't feel right. Mm. And it certainly doesn't help that that's, it's for reasons like that, that testing is often described as as being a bottleneck because the ratio is so lopsided. There are more developers producing work than testers there to to validate that work or do whatever kind of testing you want to do. So I guess coaching is a good way of helping to reduce that bottleneck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think being a bottleneck is something that's that's really easy to do if you're if you're really precious about the work. That can be mm. a, quite a hard transition if you've um, if you've been testing for a long time by yourself, and then you want to get the team involved somehow. You have to learn to let go a little bit and and you know learn to trust your team that they're going to build things in the right way Um, and I think the other thing that's really important on that as well is to get the whole team to agree that they are happy to release based on the tests that we have done as a team so I think I think testers can sometimes well I I certainly can fall into that trap of somebody asking me oh Claire do you think this feature is ready for release now don't answer that question don't do that turn it around into a different question and say, okay, well, this is what we've tested so far. These are the unit tests we've written. This is what we've covered during exploratory testing, whatever else. Are we as a team happy that we have done enough testing um, to, to ship this feature? Yeah, I think that that kind of oversight that a coach can offer is really valuable. I am also someone who who likes to hang on to tasks and go, I want to do the best testing possible. I want to give this the best the best possible chance of, of uh, you know, being the highest quality possible. But also, this is only a small part of a much larger set of features we're trying to deliver. And I think that's one of the, the biggest things I've had to learn over my career is learning when to let go of things. And we have all come to acknowledge that testing is never going to ensure that software is free of bugs. Mm-hmm. But what it can do is make sure you're mitigating against what matters. And if that means doing less testing in one area because there's testing to be done in other areas, sometimes that that is a, a balance that's worth taking. Yeah, absolutely. But it is, as you say, it's, it is a different mindset. It's, it's not necessarily being the person who prepares all the test scenarios and even writes all the automation if it's automation involved. Coaching involves a, a very different set of, of skills. Uh, is there anything that you've had to, to learn uh, to add to your skill set that maybe you didn't have before you became a coach? Um, so what I talked about a lot in the test bash talk was the ability to listen. Um, and I focused in on this one because I think it's, it's highly overlooked, um, not just as a coach, but as a, as a human being, um, I read a really great book by Kate Murphy and that was called you're not listening. Um, and she talked about how 
listening is kind of a lost art and what we project is valued more than what we absorb. Um, so she she offers some really great tips on how to actually listen and talks about how the biggest barrier to us listening properly to a person is that we're worrying about what we're going to say in return. Mm. But if we do that, then we're not focused on what that person is saying. Um, so I think where that comes in as a tester is you feel like as a coach or you feel like as the testing expert in the room, you have to have all of the answers, but you don't. Um, you need the ability to ask the right questions to tease those answers out from other people because um, nobody has 100% domain knowledge. It's just you're never going to find every little edge case. Um, so, yeah, that ability to listen well and to not be worried that um, you don't have a question lined up after this person has answered it is it, it takes some getting used to. Yeah, well, we're only 10 minutes into our recording. I'm sure you're, you're used to it already. I've already demonstrated to you that I don't always know what question's coming next. But the, <laughs> the, the listening part is, yeah, it's, it's really important. Uh, it's not just playing conversational tennis. It's, it's understanding the meaning and the message. And um, full disclosure, this doesn't quite feel like oversharing, but actually I've, I've recently started doing some personal therapy and participating in that. And and I have really began to appreciate from my therapist the skill of active listening and where it comes in. And uh, like I already feel that I'm learning things from her about, my, about myself and how I coach that I can take back into my workplace, which has been really, really valuable. Yeah, that's brilliant. And in the modern world, when we talk about listening, we're not even just talking about face-to-face -face communication. Sometimes this is messages that go back and forth on Slack. I had one very recently uh, with a student I'm working with where um, I had a reply from them that, to me sounded like they were giving me quite short shrift and being very abrupt with me when I actually hadn't spoken to the student before. And it turns out they had, they had a whole load of, of personal circumstances and reasoning behind why they were being short in that particular moment where I, I went straight to someone else and complained and said, can you believe what this person's doing? And it turns out that they could believe because they knew this person a lot better than I did. And I completely missed in the moment that there is so much going on outside the, the immediate conversation. Yeah, that's it. And it's so much harder over just reading words on a piece of paper as well, isn't it? Mm. Do you think that serving such a role as a coach or being active listening and, and being more verbal and social to an extent, do you think it's harder for people who are introverted? Um, I cited in the talk that I, I felt like it suited me as an introvert because I don't like to project I prefer to be that sort of the person that listens I don't like to dictate necessarily so it's better for me to ask questions to somebody and help them get to the the answer that I'm looking for um but there's also a you know you need to be careful of leading questions you don't want to lead somebody to an answer but I think I prefer I prefer to ask questions over over dictating and I think that suits me as an introvert. The other bit about being an introvert, which suits being a coach, is being comfortable with silence because if you're listening really well, you there are going to be periods of silence. Um, you ask a question, they give you an answer, 
you're listening well, so you're taking in that answer, there's going to be a period of silence before you ask your next question. And as an introvert, I'm quite comfortable in my own company and quite comfortable with silence. Um, So I I think that suits me as well. But having said all of that, I do think it could be difficult for some people who are more introverted. Um, They might find it difficult to compose those questions. Um, Introverts might find it easier to, you know, just take a feature and test it by themselves. You know, they don't want to necessarily interact with other people. So that side of things might might prove tricky. Yeah, I think you can still shape the role to fit what suits you. I mean, I certainly know people who do their best work when they're allowed to take something away, absorb it in their own time and then come back with it. And that's that's not to say that you can't still be an effective coach if you do that. I think you made a really good point around around silences. And I think this is probably in Kate's book that I read this, but um, the idea that the silence also creates the opportunity for others who might be in the conversation, who mm. might be worried about like, I don't know where I'm going to chip into this conversation. By adding a period of silence, that person is then encouraged that, that now is a good time for them to make an entry into the conversation. So you can actually empower others by, by leaving silences as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's far more vital in our remote world as well, because if there's a group of you and you're in a video call, most people are on mute and you know, until the person that's talking has finished talking. So there's that extra couple of seconds for them to come off mute and decide that they need to come into the conversation, which is really difficult, can be really difficult to recognize. Yeah. One thing that definitely isn't going on mute now is the music on this podcast, because we're about to crank things up. <laughs> what is your second song today, Claire? Um, so this is ACDC and the track is Back in Black. And I've chosen this because it is one of the first songs that I learned the riff for on my green electric guitar when I was a teenager. was Back in Black by ACDC, making its second appearance on the podcast, having previously been picked by Danny Dainton back in episode 16. That really begins to like make me feel old now. Like That was four years ago. Like, <gasps> I can't believe that I've been doing this podcast for five years, but like, wow. <laughs> a lot has happened to, to the world in that four years. And uh, it's, it's good to have a familiar friend back on the podcast. So we've been talking today about coaching uh, and what it means to coach. Um, until very recently, I would quite often use the word coaching and mentoring and, and teaching as well, kind of interchangeably. Uh, and I had a revelation at Tesbash as to how that was different. And there was a, a few people who, who came up with uh, some definitions around that. Why is coaching different from teaching? So teaching is where you're imparting your knowledge directly to your student. You're telling them the answer. Whereas coaching on the other side of this kind of learning spectrum is about getting that person to find their own answers so where teaching is more about telling coaching is more about listening and asking questions um vernon richards talks about mentoring sitting in the middle of this sort of spectrum and he says that people are he reckons that managers are looking more for a mentor rather than a coach. They're sort of, they're looking for people to kind of lead the way and say, you know, use their experience to 
to guide what people are doing now, but not necessarily tell them. Yeah, funnily enough, Vernon is going to be our guest next month. I'm finishing the year strong with guests who I want to talk to. So uh, looking forward to, to hearing from Vernon next month. Um, this is something that's very familiar with me in, in my new role as well. Uh, although I technically have the word coach in my job title, uh, I'm very much trying to help uh, apprentices learn uh, the craft of testing from scratch, from knowing nothing all, all the way through to, to parachuting to a business. And they're following a curriculum which would make it very easy to, to drop into a teaching role because here is a list of stuff that we want you to learn. But that is very specifically not my role. Uh, my role is more to identify uh, behaviours and places where people fall into traps and, and try to help people to, to grow themselves rather than going, the answer you gave to exercise three was wrong. You should have typed X, Y, Z. When you type this, it's not about that at all, particularly in an industry where there is no right way of doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think the other important thing to remember as well is that um, you're not necessarily a coach 100% of the time. Sometimes you you need to switch back to, I say switch back like it's a step backwards, but it's not. You, you need to switch techniques sometimes. So I talked about being a quality consultant sometimes. So that was a really great stepping stone into being a coach because um, convincing people that they could come to me and ask me questions about quality was a really great step away from testing everything myself and my team letting me independently test things. Once I'd assumed this sort of quality consultant role, they recognized that I had the answers and that they would need them to do their work. So I think it's important to take the team on that journey. So if if your team isn't bought into the idea that a tester can help you improve quality or, you know, help the team's output, you have to show them first by um, testing something, Mm. showing the bugs that fall out of that, perhaps moving on to a mentoring stage. And then once they recognize the value of that, that's when become being a coach becomes far easier. I think that was one of the things that I found hardest to adjust to when I was working at Postman was that I basically had found myself in a coaching role without anybody telling me that I was in a coaching role. I was in a a very, a very high performing scrum team who frankly were churning out stuff without being tested or without consulting anyone who was called a tester. And I was like, I'm the tester for this team. Shouldn't I be seeing this stuff? And what I realized was I needed to to force my way into the conversation some more because my role was to guide a frankly quite large and geographically distant team of people who aren't always online at the same time as me. And it was like, oh yeah, what I'm actually doing here is being a coach. I hadn't realized that I was doing that. And uh, certainly it's difficult to perform to your best when you're not sure what's expected of you. Yes, absolutely. I guess you also, you need to wear some other different hats because you're also acting kind of almost like as a salesperson sometimes. You're trying to to convince the business as to why you need some coaches or you know some people serving a coaching role as opposed to a certain number of testers bums on seats yes um so i think i got quite lucky in my last place um that my manager just sort of had complete faith in me <laughs> and you, which was really nice um but I think I'd, I'd proven that to him through different methods. And then when I suggested that I wanted to try out this coaching, um, 
you know, he could he could see the value behind that as well because he wanted he wanted the developers to learn more about how to test their own their own work, etc. Um, but I think the other thing that was really important to talk about was um, single points of failure. So, being the only tester, you are that mm. single point of failure if nobody else knows how to test something. So, um, talking about sharing knowledge within the team is is something that my manager was really keen to um for us to do yeah and again that's where i struggled a bit at postman because um the developers were very good at creating i'm getting a lot off my chest here today (laughs) the developers were were very good at creating like large suites of automation Uh, they kind of used postman to test postman which is actually quite neat but they would create it and then walk away from it and assume that the person called the tester was going to own that going forwards even though they didn't create it they don't know what it did they don't know whether it's sufficient to test everything that needs testing they're just now in control of whether that thing is red or green and you need a lot more um collaboration and i think you made a really good point on on trust and faith and the, the best roles that i've been in have been the ones where people are allowed to operate or assumed to be operating in good faith and are just allowed to get on with it mm-hmm. yeah definitely so if you're uh, pairing with a developer, for example, let's say um, put yourself in the head of someone who's who's beca- who's serving a coaching role for the first time and you're working with a developer who is developing a new feature for whatever it is that you're building, how might a coaching session with a developer look like to you? So I think it depends on the experience level of the developer. So I had... Um, we had a bit of an influx of new developers at my last company. So with them, it was very much talking about how the feature was going to work, what they'd coded to make it, to make it do the thing. Um, and then sort of asking questions along the way uh, around what do they think could go wrong at this stage? So a lot of the time, just getting your developers to talk through the changes that they've made will prompt ideas for things that they'll want to test. Um, for a more experienced developer, probably the main question, my favorite question to ask is what's the worst thing that can happen here? Mm. So with a more experienced developer, they've probably covered a lot more in their testing by the time you um, you do a coaching session. I'm assuming, of course, that a coaching session for this is happening towards the end of feature development. Um, coaching sessions earlier on in the development cycle will look a bit different, but something where the feature is kind of up on its feet and it's ready to be sort of played around with um, is definitely I like to focus the conversation on what risks there are and what could potentially go wrong. Yeah, I think there are certain other words that you can look out for as well. For example, if you ever hear someone say something will always do something or something will never do yes. something, that's really worth drilling into going, uh, you know, to, to what degree are you certain that will never happen? And let's say it did happen, what would actually go on? It's very similar to what, what's the worst that could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the challenges with involved with getting a coaching role established within a business, one of them is the age-old problem of measuring um, the outcomes of testing, which has always been difficult. But when your role is to advise others or to make the lives of others easier, how how do you effectively measure the outcome of that? Yeah, so I don't have a good answer for this. Damn. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I have a, I have an answer that I'm satisfied with, but I'm not sure 
um, a leadership uh, leadership positions would be happy with because they like numbers, they like to see things going up or down. Um, for me as a coach, I feel like I've had a successful day if I've if I've helped somebody. Um, the other measure of success for me was um, during our three amigos sessions. So that's like a story kickoff between the tester, the developer, and a product person. If I've asked a question that somebody has said. Oh, that's a good question. We haven't thought about that. That that's a success for me. Mm. Um, the other thing is seeing developers' behaviour change as they come into more and more coaching sessions. So, what I was seeing a lot of in my last place, particularly with the more experienced developers, because they were catching on to it more quickly, was by the time we come to a pair testing session together they've come with all of these notes of all of these different things that they've tested and they you can see their knowledge growing over time mm. because they're covering more they're covering more tests they're covering more scenarios they're thinking about more things so i can see over time how this person is changing and how their how their thinking is changing but the reason i say i don't have a good answer for that is because i i don't have a number for that it's just it, it's how I feel about it. I mean, I think in theory, you should see your quality in production increasing. Um, so if you've read the book Accelerate, that talks about some very good metrics there. Um, that could be, yeah, that could be something that you measure. But that's for me, it's more about seeing the effect that I'm having on 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 the people in my team. Yeah, I think that's one of the major pluses of, of, of being an effective coach is that it makes your own job easier, the more effective you are, because you have that baseline understanding and that baseline confidence when, when something comes to you that that things have happened. And it's mean to try and make you solve the problem of, of OKRs on a Tuesday night in November. Um, <laughs> there's been, there was a really good talk at Agile on the Beach in the summer, which has just been released on YouTube today at the time of recording. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes around OKRs and how to make them not suck. Uh, mm. But this is something we've always struggled with. I mean, this is the first time I've recorded a podcast since Elon Musk started tearing Twitter apart and mm. rumor has it looking at the number of lines of code changed by developers and then going, well, the, the fewer lines of code you committed, the, the less effective you are as a developer. And um, whether true or not does not sound good. Mm. No. But on a much lighter note, let's, let's go as light as we can get. Um, tell us about your third song choice. So my third song choice, This it's a real mix of, of <laughs> um, music today. Um, so... My third song is The Dance of the Reed Flutes, and it comes from the Nutcracker, the ballet. So I've danced since I was about three years old. I finished ballet when I was about 16, when I went off to college and university, and have recently rediscovered it. And it is my favorite hour of the week because I just get to go and dance and I switch off from everything else. So um, that's a tribute to that. Often overlooked by its older sibling, the Sugar Plum Fairy, that was Dance of the Reed Flutes from Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker. Uh, the version we played there was from the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Sir Simon Rattle. 
Now, in this next section, I'm going to be asking you questions, Claire, about questions. Um, one of the things you need to be able to do to be an effective coach is to ask good or insightful questions. How do you go about designing good questions? So my favorite book on this topic is called Humble Inquiry, and that's written by a fellow called Edgar Schein. As I reach across to my bookcase, <laughs> I've just forgotten his name. Um, yeah, so the, again, this is a this is something that we really take for granted as well. The ability to construct a good question is actually quite tricky. Um, again, because we're we're self-conscious beings and we want to project our own opinions, we can sometimes have a habit of starting questions with phrases like, don't you agree? Or isn't it true? And that, that's not a question. You just, you're just projecting your own opinion. So a good question needs to be open to all possible types of answers. It's also about embracing your ignorance. We're all scared of asking stupid questions sometimes. And that's why we do the thing where we start off questions with, don't you think, or wouldn't you agree? Um, but if we remain, if we remain genuinely curious and interested and curious, then we ask more open questions. So I had a little I had a little quote in my talk, which was um, curiosity may kill the cat, but it keeps the tester alive. <laughs> so um, where that comes in as a tester is if somebody describes a situation that is concerning them, for example, I'm worried about this feature because it touches this bit of code and it's really unstable or it's, you know, really high risk. Instead of offering advice straight away on how to test something, ask them, what is it about this thing that concerns you? Because if we stay curious over giving advice, we allow that person to go deeper and figure out why it's a concern. And ultimately they come to a, a solution by themselves. And I think that's a really good trait for us as testers because we're already very nosy, very curious. Yeah. I think that's what Edgar Schein describes as the, as the diagnostic kind of inquiry. I am someone who will often accidentally fall into the the category of confrontational inquiry where i'm just trying to ask a, a very basic question but the other person receives it as if i'm being very accusatory like even like down to the silliest reasons like i have a task that i have to do every work in my team every day at work in my team about midday every day and one of us has to do it and the act of asking asking person b whether they have done that thing or whether they are going to do that thing without me saying I thought you were going to do that thing. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's really difficult to get right. But on the other hand, you, you can go too far the other way. Like there's being humble and there's um, not being Weasley, but there's, there's couching in so many clauses that you never get to the point. For example, like I could say a question such as, oh, well, maybe I'm just not quite understanding this. And I know I know you've got more experience with it than, than I have. But the way I've seen it, from what I've seen so far, it's like, get, get, get to the, what's the question you want to ask? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the worst one of those is, is when it's over slack and when those those messages come through three or four at a time and you're sitting there seeing the pencil and they've still not got to the question it's like yeah, yeah but, but can i just go back to the thing i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's when i think um building relationships as a coach is obviously really important so you have to know the person that you're that you're dealing with and that's 
that's why I alluded to when you asked, um, you know, what does a coaching session looks like? It very much depends on that person and what type of relationship you have with them. So some people you might need to be a bit more sort of softly, softly with initially. And then others, you can just be more direct because they know that you're just, you know, you're, you're doing it for the, for the right reasons. Mm. I cannot remember the source for this because I've read too many coaching books recently, but I, one of the the, the the interesting things that I read or heard was around if you want to to seem like you're coming across as caring, the way you do that is by caring. Like yes. <laughs> if, if you genuinely care, you don't have to act or put on any hat. You could you could just be interested in, in getting you know useful value out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um and be interest be interested in that person as well. So um, I don't have children myself, but I know that other people love to talk about their children. Um, and that's that's not a way to sort of manipulate somebody into a relationship. I love to hear about other people's kids. Um, I recently became an auntie mm. um, to three week old uh, Otis and I absolutely adore him. So I love hearing people talking about their children and that that helps to build relationships as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, my son is now two and a half and uh, with Christmas approaching, he very much is, this is the year where he gets Christmas and we've, yes. we've fallen into all the traps we said we never would. Like we, <laughs> we, the, the, the Santa myth is very much alive in the house and is already being leveraged for good behavior. It's like, well, if you do that, then maybe Father Christmas isn't going to, like we said we'd <laughs> never do that. But sometimes there are just conversational shortcuts that work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, th- I think when you get into that conversation, particularly if you are coaching someone who's in a different discipline or who is maybe more experienced than you or has more knowledge on the thing that you are coaching them on, the revelation that you don't always need to be the one in that conversation that has the answers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, I think that's that's something that's really hard to let go of when you're when you're the testing expert within that conversation. You worry that you don't have all of the answers, but you're not the only person that's there to test and you're not the only person there that is going to do a good job at testing. Developers can make brilliant testers as well. Testers are really good at asking questions that tease out things that we want to, that we want to look at for a particular feature. So if we can ask those questions to other people, then different answers will come from different people. Because like I said earlier, nobody has 100% domain knowledge and you, you're never going to be able to see every different edge case. But if you can if you can ask the right questions, you're going to prompt different things from different people. Yeah, I think that's one of the keys is that you're effectively trying to unlock that conversational process or that thought process with the other person. Because the person you're talking to is not stupid. They may mm-hmm. well be someone who is in a different area or has a different focus. But I've seen this when I've been working with people and looking at um, reviewing what unit testing they put in place. And they've overlooked things, not because they didn't know about those things, but because they've got a hundred other things to do with the day. And as soon as you say, um, this involves dates and we've not considered how leap years interact with this, they just go, oh God, yes, because we can do A and B and C and D. And it's just that spark that you give them. It doesn't need to be, you don't need to go and tell, tell them, right, you don't test for A, B, C and D. You just need to get the, get the, the wheels greased effectively. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we're going to grease those wheels of music right now. That was terrible, Link. I could have wheels of steel like the DJs, <coughs> but I'm going with it because it's late. And we're on to song number four today. So song number four is Rolling Stones, Give Me Shelter. Um, So my parents had a huge influence on the music that I love. Rolling Stones are my mum's favourite band and this is her favourite track. 
Give Me Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Somehow it's taken them 62 episodes to appear on the podcast, but here we are. So you mentioned earlier in the podcast, Claire, that you have just recently started a, a new role uh, in Manchester. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so it's with the co-op group. Um, very excited. I'm seven working days into the role. Um, and it's already very, very different from my last place. Um, the biggest thing at the moment is is how big it is. Um, so my last company, we had a team of around 25-ish people in the tech department. And I, I don't even know how many there are at the co-op. There's there's hundreds probably. Um, so getting my head around all of that has been quite overwhelming. But the one thing that is very exciting to me is there are a team of testers other testers in the business that I can talk to. <laughs> so exciting. Yeah, it's 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 always a a nice reminder that that you're not alone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean I'm grateful for for being by myself in my last job actually because I think if I'd had tester company, I wouldn't have reached out into the community quite so much. I don't think, um, and I don't know for certain just yet, but I'm not sure how active my fellow testers are in the community so if they're not that's definitely something that I can that I can bring to them because you do have a tendency to get stuck in your own little company bubble if you've got other testers to talk to I didn't have that so I had to sort of reach out to the global community which has been so hugely hugely beneficial yeah, I, I've spoken to, to some people at the co-op before, and, and I know that um, this won't come as a surprise to you, but like a lot of companies, they, they strive to do things like internal communities of practice, but also testers work in a discipline where there's always more testing that can be done. And the challenge is how to foster that community while getting the day job done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there is a community of practice for QAs, but it has, as I understand it, stalled a little in recent months, like you say, because because of the challenges of the day-to-day -day work. So there's a lot of recruitment going on at the moment, and I think we're looking to hire another four testers in the next few months or so. Um, but I, I see a community of practice as hugely valuable. I don't it, it, I don't think it's ever wasted time. So it's, it's going to be something that I'm going to, to drive with people because I think it's one of those things that can very easily sort of slip off the um, slip off the radar because we've just, oh, we've got too many meetings. I've got too much to do. It's, you know, it's not part of your day to day. It's really easy to just kick it to one side, but it's it's too valuable not to have it. Yeah, I had that even just last week. We have a, a weekly slot put aside for, for CPD where people come together and present and talk about things. And I had two other meetings that clashed with it and I, I just couldn't go to it and, and I was gutted. I, I think one of the really key things, particularly in the modern flexible world, is to try and make your community of practice allow it so that it can run asynchronously. So maybe this week we're reviewing two chapters of a book and digesting some ideas and, and reporting back in a Slack channel on, on what we thought about this 
in, in such a way that you don't need to be in a certain place at a certain time? Or if it's a show and tell, can you pre-record the video of the show and tell and people can have, have Q&A and watch it live or they can watch it back later? I think giving people options and recognising that the world isn't isn't such that we can all just be in the same place at the same time. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Actually, it's not that's not something that has ever crossed my mind. <laughs> um, so the very first job that I had as a tester, we had uh, four testers in the team, and we set up um, probably one of the nerdiest things I've ever um, I've ever gone with, and it was called the Testers Guild. And we'd go off for an hour every week and talk about various things that we'd done across our teams, any shared kind of problems, etc. Um, but that that hour that takes you away from your work but I think it's it's a bit like your learning time as well it's an investment in yourself you you could be wrestling with something you could be banging your head against a brick wall for hours and you don't know that your colleague who's working in the other team has solved this exact problem for you last week um so yeah hugely important yeah I think that's absolutely essential in large companies where the domains can often be quite diverse and and people can be solving the same problems at the same time. Um, and I guess if you were to have some input into communities of practice, one of those things you might like to do is teach them more about coaching. Can, can you recommend um, to listeners, is there anything that you found really valuable? You've named it a couple of books already, but in terms of uh, other conference talks or, or blogs or valuable books that people might like to read? Yeah, so I think the other book that I referenced in my talk was The Coaching Habit, um, whose name eludes me and is too small on my bookshelf to read, uh, but it's very easily found. Bright blue and yellow book. Um, that talks about seven key questions that you can ask as a coach, um, and that that basically applies to any any different setting. Um, the person that I would recommend to follow on the coaching side of things would be Vernon Richards. He's doing an awful lot in the coaching space at the minute, and writing a seamlessly endless amount of posts on his um, Typeshare blog around various different things, um, some really good material. He also did a talk with Stu Sunday Day. Thank you. Um, at Test Bash, that was very, very good as well. Yeah, and I'll add one book to that list as well. I've recently been reading The Coach's Casebook uh, by Jeff Watson, Kim Morgan, which is, again, it's about coaching, but it's about characteristics of a good conversation as opposed to here's how to ask really insightful questions it's more about how to involve how to avoid falling into conversational traps it's a, a really good read oh brilliant i'll have to find that one well i am going to pin you down in a minute to select a book to take to the desert island with you but before that you've got a fifth and final song choice to pick i have so this last one is uh, a real wild card it's uh, the afro-celt sound system and it's my favorite track of theirs so i mentioned earlier that my parents were a huge influence on the music that i listen to now we saw this band at the womad festival world of music arts and dance i think i was about nine or ten years old there was these giant colorful flags waving in the wind just as the sun was setting and this band came on and everybody was dancing. It was it was a magical experience. And the name of the song is Whirly Real.
was Afro-Celt Sound System with Whirly Reel 1. And with five songs in the bag, we've also got one book that you can bring to the island, Claire. What book would you like to select to accompany you on this sandy shore? So I'll be taking The Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Album. Um, it's being described as some to be a little bit cheesy, but I disagree entirely. It's about a chap who passes away and when he goes to heaven, he meets the five people that have had the biggest impact on his life or the people that he's had the most impact on. So one of these people is actually a perfect stranger to him. And yet one of his actions had a huge impact on his life. So it's it's a really beautiful story. It reminds us all that... Um, all of our actions can be important. And although we're all telling lots of different stories on this world, they're all they're all intertwined in some way. Fantastic. Fiction, but applicable. I think we're quite short on, on fiction on the island. I think, well, some people do pick their favourite fiction. I think a lot of people are, are driven to go, oh, well, I'll pick a book that's uh, relevant to uh, directly to my career. But that's really interesting that... Uh, the way it analyzes human uh, interactions. So uh, delighted to add that to the bookshelf. We have a list of all the books that are linked in the show notes. You can find that on Goodreads and all of the songs on our Spotify playlist. And that brings us to the end of our time together. Thank you so much, Claire, for for coming and speaking to me on this uh, November evening. Um, If people would like to get in touch with you, how should they do that? So you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. My Twitter handle is at ClaireCatherine6. I've yet to create a Mastodon account, but I'm sure I will do at some point. But for now, LinkedIn and Twitter would be the places to go. Cool. Yeah, I, I have. we still have a podcast account on Twitter because I, I felt bad about removing it. I I kind of wound down my Twitter usage naturally before all the other stuff happened. And I just, I've taken the plunging on, you know what? It's not for me right now, uh, mm-hmm. but um, other other networks are available uh, and uh, the testing community obviously has lots of other live places they can meet. I'm sure you know of them already through finding this podcast, but um, do you have anything else coming up uh, in your uh, conference type life this year? Conference type life is a weird sentence to say, Neil. We're going to go with it. Um, yeah, so in two three weeks time first of december retest bash is happening online and that is featuring the talks that i believe were the most played after test bash manchester so very exciting that i've been chosen for that i believe i'm the last talk of the day somewhere around five ish so they play the recording of the talk and then i'll be there to answer any coaching related questions so definitely join us for that Um, In the future, though, I haven't submitted another talk um, for next year for any conferences because obviously starting the new job, it will be good to get a bit more experience and see what's happening there. I could probably foresee myself taking a little break while I settle in there and perhaps start submitting again in the second half of next year. Cool. Yeah, I made an on-air promise last month that I have a, a, a submission incoming. I too am unsure about that because I'm about to start a, a very lengthy coaching course that also has like a post-grad course tacked onto the end of it. So I could see 2023 being quite busy. Yes. As well as looking after a, a what will become a three-year-old by then. So uh, we shall see. Uh, but Retest Bash, yes. At the time this episode comes out, it is later this week. Uh, it's carefully been timed to not clash with any England or Wales World Cup games because uh, the World Cup <laughs> is also coming along uh, for all the joys that will bring to our lives. Uh, who knows when this episode comes out, maybe we'll even still be in the tournament. But um, <laughs> we've got one more episode to come this year, but it's been a, a real treat to talk to you, Claire. Thank you very much for coming along. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for having me. 
and uh, we'll see all the rest of you back on these airwaves uh, at Christmas time. See you next month. Bye, everyone. Test Design and Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.